Unreal. Uh, we welcome you to the next installment of our special 007 and Counting film review series. This is Arthur, that is Isaac, and this episode is going to cover 1965's Thunderball, the fourth Eon Productions James Bond film starring Sean Connery. And it, ah, it's our first Connery film to talk about. First, maybe last, who knows? First, 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 first OG. First, maybe last, and man, AC County. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I, I don't know if you knew this. I had never seen Thunderball. No, I don't think. Because, you know I mean, that? full. Okay, so being 100% transparent, we were considering for this slot. We did Live and Let Die for the first film, which mm-hmm, you guys hopefully mm-hmm. listened to. Then we did, we, for the second one of this this uh, this installment of 007 and County, we were thinking about doing Goldfinger. And. Yeah. We were, we came down came to Thunderball simply because Goldfinger's been you know all, I mean all these films been analyzed to death but Goldfinger definitely sure. analyzed to death and I think yeah. Thunderball is just a very interesting film for a lot of reasons we'll get into um, but I did not know when we were having that discussion I didn't know you had never seen it before no okay yep, this 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 got a lot more interesting even more interesting than um, than I thought previously so that's that's actually cool okay. Um, so okay, let's let's jump into it. Mad facts. So you you have a grounded understanding of where this film, you know, the the context that this film released in. Oh yeah, uh, we are at the height of Bondum at this point. Um, Goldfinger had done very well at the box office. They had a three million dollar budget, and it grossed one hundred twenty five million. Speaking of Goldfinger, you know this this was the film where Bond really took off. I mean, there were there were there were promotional tie-ins mm. uh, to Goldfinger, including the car, the mm. Aston Martin DB5, um, turned out to be the biggest selling toy of 1964. Everybody got rich off Goldfinger, except for Sean Connery. Yeah, made the cover of Life Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> right, made the cover of Life Magazine. This this film did very very well for you know for Eon. Right. So going into Thunderball, it really the stakes were like very high. Mm-hmm. You know, they did not phone it in. The, I mean, you know, they certainly didn't keep it safe. They, they, there were a number of special effects in this film, and 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 we're talking about 1965. Mm-hmm. So these were practical <laughs> special effects. You right. know, right. Um, I, you we'll know, I don't get into don't, that when we get into the film itself. But go ahead. Yeah, I don't think anything is comparable in terms of like landscape, except for in terms of Bond landscape. Really. Post Golden Eye or Golden Eye, post Goldfinger is kind of similar to post Skyfall, you know, in the sense mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the you know Bond. It, it's not the same because you know Bond fandom. I don't think Bond mania. I don't think will ever be as big as it was, you know, in nineteen sixty three or sixty four. You know, I don't. I don't think it'll ever be that big again because it was new then, and you know, you had right. arguably. You know, you had right. the OG Bond, uh, arguably, arguably the best Bond, um, you know, defining that role right in front mm-hmm. of our eyes. Well, mm-hmm. other people's eyes, because neither you or I were there, but, you know, defining that role in front of other people's eyes. And I think that so after Goldfinger, you know, it was just like, man, it was like Bond mania. And so after Skyfall, although it wasn't the same, 
Bond had been returned to like you know peak form, restored, you know it was right? Like, yeah, it was like you know you had very casual moviegoers, very casual Bond fans were just like in love with Skyfall, you know, and so post Skyfall, mm-hmm. there's a lot of it, you know, a lot of eyes on Bond. Um, so just you know, I jumped the gun a little bit. So just just to lay out how we're going to do this again. If this is your first time listening to 007 and Counting, um, Arthur and I are just like diving into bondum getting ready for the release of uh no time to die the 25th bond film and we did this last year <laughs> we yes did we did 007 <laughs> last year where we went through we all did, the craig we did, we, films we did not postpone our plans we did not postpone our plans we, we went through it it was, it was a lot of fun to. um if you haven't listened to the first era of 007 and counting please check that out um we went through all of the craig films um, and it was a lot of fun. So we did that. But then, you know, getting ready for this rescheduled release of um, No Time to Die, which our fingers are crossed, is actually going to happen in October, um, October 8th in the, in the United States. We wanted to dive back in to, you know, do another installment of 007 and Counting. And this time, just look at, you know, classic, not, not necessarily even classic, just Bond films that we find intriguing. And mm-hmm. so our first installment um, was Live and Let Die. Now we're diving this week into Thunderball. Who knows what we're going to be diving into next week? That'll be a surprise. Um, but we're not going chronologically. We're just doing what we want to do. Um, so we're going to break this down, Mad in real style. First section is Mad Facts, um, where we do, excuse me, what we just did was lay out the, uh, the context in which this film was released. Then we get into pre-titles and song, then rated Bond, where we look at Bond himself, how he uh, was portrayed and performed at, at peak level or not peak level within this film. Uh, we do women versus villain, where we look at the Bond women of the film and pit them against the Bond villains and see which you know which group that we preferred in this film. Um, and then we have our last thoughts. And then, of course, we do our Q&A question in Arthur, where I quiz Arthur and see if he's really paying attention to this movie. Um, which will be interesting since this is your first time seeing this movie um, this year or this this time. So that'll be cool. Um, all right. So that's the mad facts. Did you have any? Oh, do we want to talk about the, uh, the elephant in the room? Controversy with Thunderball. So this is your first time watching it. So were you aware? Let me ask you, were you aware of the controversy involving and what this movie, how it kicked off a bunch of shit within the, within the Bond universe? Yeah, no, I I actually was not, I wasn't aware. Um, I was aware of Spectre, the name Spectre, Mm. not being um, prevalent in films after Thunderball uh, until we got to the actual film Spectre because of some legal issue. Mm. Um, And I was also aware, not that this was controversy, but I was also aware that Thunderball was retold um, almost 20 years later under the title Never Say Never Again in which Sean Connery returned to reprise the role of James Bond. But yeah, yeah so that was... That was that was your... Yeah, I mean, and, and that's, you know, we could do a whole episode. There have been, you know, many of... Uh, there's been documentaries. There's been books written about the controversy <laughs> involving this. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, long story, very, very, very long story made short. Um Originally, before Ian Fleming, you know, made his deal with Eon Pictures, Albert Broccoli and uh, um, Harry Saltzman to do these Bond films, he was working with other producers to try to get this mm-hmm. off the ground, um, mm-hmm. one of which was Kevin McClory. And there's another guy, um, I think Whitman um, was his name. 
And so these 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 producers um, collaborated with Ian Fleming on a story, you know, um, a Bond story. And out mm-hmm. of that collaboration came um, the idea of Spectra, or Spectra, Spectre, the idea of Blofeld, you know. And mm-hmm. I think that when so so they you know that didn't happen the deal fell through or whatever and then you know ian fleming meets eon and then the eon pictures happen so dr no is the first film so mm-hmm. on and so forth at some point um ian fleming though in the early 60s decided or the late 50s decided to take you know some of the material that he had developed originally with these other producers and you know turn it into a novel um and that's when the lawsuits started happening so then mm-hmm. then you have kevin mcclory in particular saying listen we came up with those ideas together. Um, you know, you don't own those ideas. Um, mm. And lawsuits are, so I believe, I don't, you know, again, this is a whole nother episode. We can do a show on this. Um, bottom line, I believe Ian Fleming died in 1963 or 64. Um, mm. And up until that point, though, he was in and out of court, you know, dealing with these issues. And Kevin McClory won to some extent. That's why you see Kevin McClory's name on Thunderball, produced by mm. Kevin McClory. Um, and then more legal issues happen. And that's why you don't see Spectre, you know, um, appear after Sean Connery era. You don't see him Spectre again until Daniel Craig's 2015 film. So a lot going on in this this film and Spectre and Blofeld and all these different um, narrative elements. They're at the core of all that controversy. Um, so I, I think, yeah, again, if you guys are interested in that, Google it. There are books. Um, there's a couple of different books I've seen that I actually want to read myself. Um, but there's documentaries all over the internet about it. Um, it's, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in bond, it's, it's interesting to see these different machinations, but we're not going to dive completely into that today. We're going to jump right into pre-titles and songs. So Arthur, Arturius Maximus, Thunderball. How did you feel about the pre-titles sequence? Um, which has this bond doing every, everything from getting into a fight to using a jetpack. So how did you feel about it? Yeah, I, this was this was a good one. Um, I liked how it opened. Uh, it opens in a cathedral at a funeral, mm-hmm. and you know you see a coffin. Uh, um, I believe it's, you know draped with like a cloak with the initials JB on it. So mm-hmm. your initial thought is like, okay, is this is this a funeral service for James Bond himself? Mm-hmm. Um, but what you find out is that Bond is actually um, in a balcony looking down on this service and mm. we find that it's the funeral for uh, Jacques Bouvier. Kind of, who, kind of a fake out that would be used in the next film, right? Because in the next movie in uh, Only You Only, only Live Twice, twice. remember mm. the beginning of that movie, he gets killed putting that in quotation marks and so we're supposed to think he's dead, you know? So it's kind of a, it was interesting to see, yeah, for half a second they're showing you that coffin with JB on it in Thunderball for just a second to make you think that it's supposed to be Bond, but then immediately we see him on the balcony. So um, I'm trying to remember the the so there's a woman at the in dressed in black, mm, and French, I believe French agent, yeah. And um, oh yeah, well well well, Jacques Bouvier we we find uh, has has killed two of Bond's colleagues. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, he's actually up in the up in the balcony with uh, an agent from. Um, French, uh, uh, from the intelligence. French yeah. intelligence station. Mm-hmm. And um, Bond suspects that something, there's something about this woman that he's looking at at the funeral dressed in black at, at mourning 
the death of uh, uh, Bouvier, who apparently mm-hmm. you know died in his sleep, heart attack or something like that. Um, and then we follow the woman who goes back to her house, which is just really like a you know low key mansion, mm-hmm. and she enters a room and we see Bond sitting in that room like a parlor, mm-hmm. and he approaches the woman and begins to offer his condolences and then unceremoniously punches her right in the face. <laughs> right. The widow. Yeah. The widow of Jack. Yeah. The widow. Yeah, yeah. 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 But then what do we find out? We find out that that is Jacques himself dressed right. as the widow. Uh, when you were first, when you, when you, did you think that was a woman when you, when he hit her, did you think that was still a woman or do, were you already in like, that's not, nah, that's, that's, that's homeboy. That's Jacques. Did you think that was a woman? I thought that was a woman. So, so you were like, oh shit! <laughs> it had the intended effect on you. Okay, I mean, I've seen yeah. this movie so many times, I can't even remember if the first time I saw it, if I thought it was a woman. I can't remember. I, I imagine I did though. But so, you, your reaction was like, oh snap! Right, man. He because he knocked his socks, he lick laser out over a table. Which, let's be honest, man, it's 1964. We just saw him in Goldfinger do some, you know. Uh, disapproving things involving uh pussy galore you know so disapproving things is probably the most mild way to put that but yeah we saw that so it would i mean it's it's surprising to see that in thunderball him just come out and just clock what we think is a woman um so it was surprising but you know for a second it's believable because just you know you're thinking yeah he might hit a woman you know he might do yeah. that i don't know yeah um so that was i wish i, I wish i could have been sitting next to you <laughs> i wish i could have seen a look on your face I was like, like oh <laughs> <laughs> you know but then connery says uh uh you know calls him by name mm-hmm. and says that you know colonel colonel bouvier you should not have opened that car door yourself mm-hmm. and it caused mm-hmm. me to have to go back Cause if I was in a theater, I'd have been like, oh man, how do you open the car door? But when I came back, when I went back and watched right. it, the woman's, yeah, she, op- she basically just opens the door, slides in like, you know, mm-hmm. let's go. Right. Which, and again, I can see that, that, how that could raise his suspicion. With the, with the aristocracy in 1964 in France, you know, that, that class, I guess, of people that was just, you didn't do that. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. that's unheard of. And it, you know what it made me think? There's so many times, man, I'm watching TV or films now and I'm like, if it's an older film, I'm like, man, a cell phone would ruin this whole plot. It's like, you know, if you just throw a cell phone <laughs> in here, nothing works. Like everything's like, cause all they would have done was just call that dude, you know? So as uh-huh. I'm watching that in Thunderball, I'm thinking, wow, if this happened now, this, this wouldn't work. Cause it's like, you know, nobody's going to see a woman open a car door and be like, oh, that, that must be a man. <laughs> it's like, you know, exactly. cause a woman would never do that. You know, no, exactly. that doesn't work now. So that was interesting little, uh, anachronistic, you know, point, um, or, or moment to, to look at. But, um, so yeah, so then the fight, the, you know, the, the knockdown drag out, literally knockdown drag out fight. It's a rough fight. We've got pokers involved because it's right by a fire there's a fireplace in the room so bond's getting hit with a poker and dude almost gets the widow almost gets thrown into the fire bouvier and um you know it winds up where he does this a few times in the film connery Mm -hmm. it winds up where he has bested bouvier to the point where he's basically he chokes him with the poker and presumably breaks his neck or at least suffocates him so now bouvier is dead and Bond can hear that there are other people who have heard the noise that are running to the room. Mm-hmm. And Bond goes to make his escape 
using a side door, presumably in which the door in which he entered in, but takes a moment <laughs> to come back, picks up flowers out of uh, they, uh, they 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 look like the um, they're not roses, but uh, yeah. picks up. Um, I think they were roses. Yeah, yeah, pink roses. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe there were tulips, but that's what mm-hmm. I was thinking of. But anyway, picks up basically takes the time mm-hmm. to go over, pick up these 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 flowers, and throw them on the body. Yeah, a bond, a strictly bond thing to do. You know, very frivolous. Yeah. Re- regardless of the fact that he could be discovered, <laughs> and they actually uh-huh. do pursue him, which right. hastens the need for him to get out of dodge. There's a callback to that moment later on. Remember when he grabs the grape when he's leaving home? When he uh, grabs the grape. Yeah, yep, he, he that was the part. The, so this, this, this is like a bond. You see the little the the, the trait that keeps reappearing. But yeah. so now we come to the jetpack. To make his escape, Connery puts on a jetpack, a a literal jetpack with in a helmet, Mm -hmm. and we see him launch himself off of this balcony to where his car and homegirl from the from the uh, from the French station is waiting. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. you know, because he took the time to be snarky and throw some flowers on dude, (laughs) Mm -hmm. the henchmen are coming. Firing, so bullets flying, yeah. Bullets are flying, so they both get into his his Aston Martin DB5, and now we see some of these gadgets, and we see a bulletproof plate come straight up mm-hmm. off on top of the trunk, and Bond ejects basically like water pressure through the exhaust and discombobulates the henchman following him and we lead into the title sequence himself but i'll say the um the guy who did the visual effects actually Mm. won an academy award for Mm. this film Mm, okay do you speaking just kind of staying on that for a second do you sometimes when you watch these movies have to um you know movies of this era do you like with a jetpack? Do you have to like put yourself in a mind state? Like, what if I was watching this in 1964? You know, how would that? Because it's like obviously now we're looking at this and it's like mm-hmm. big deal jetpack. Yeah, you, you got to negotiate the time rear projector. Era, yeah. You know, it's like. But as as I was watching this the other night and prep for the show, I was like, you know, that's that is a big deal. You know, in 1964 to see you know mm-hmm. him put on that jetpack and you're like, oh yeah. my god, he's about to fly. You know. Yeah. Um, so that was that was a big deal. It, it did it did crack me up though with the helmet. I'm like that the fact that they had him take the time to put on a helmet. I'm like wow, safety first. Yeah, that's that didn't fit necessarily <laughs> with, with Bond's, Bond's character. Yeah. But um, how did you feel? Also, let me ask you about the the sped up um, in the in the fight scene, the technique of speeding up the film. You know, how did you feel about that? Because that was pretty novel at that time as well. That didn't really hold up to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely dated the hell out of it, yeah. especially later on in the in the boat sequence. But um, <laughs> right, that got that was that, that got that out, was of out of control. <laughs> right, right, that definitely got out of hand. So, but, okay, um, what I could appreciate, yeah, but overall, I mean, what I could appreciate was that was that at the time of this film's release, that mm-hmm. this was this was like big budget stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that only Bond would do these kinds of things. And you don't see these kinds of things in other, you know, action oriented films of the time. Mm-hmm. I'm so, so I, glad I, I you said that. I definitely appreciate that. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because that to me is a key thing to keep in mind watching these movies is that, like when you said only Bond could do it, 
in two, you know, 2021, we've seen it a million times, but it's important when you're watching these older films to realize this was the first time some of these things were done. Not all of yeah. them, but a lot of them. This was the first right. time, you know, no one else had a car like that. You know, no one else had the jetpack. No one else, you know, was doing, no one else was taking the time to throw roses on somebody that they just murdered. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Instead yeah. of getting the yeah. hell out of the castle. You know, it was like all these things combined formed this this character that then was emulated, you know, a lot following, um, following the, the release of these films. Um, and I will say Thunderball, you know, had a lot of, and we can touch on this a little bit later, but Thunderball did have a lot of the tropes that you see not only in later Bond films, but then mm-hmm. the ones that were parodied, you know, uh, most famously Boston Powers. Um, a lot of that starts with Thunderball. So, um, so you, for, so overall though, pre-titles, you, you, you really like the pre-title sequence. Yeah, I did. Okay. Do you I remember did. the Gold Goldfinger pre-title sequence? Did you like it better than that? Do you remember the Goldfinger pre-titles? Um, Goldfinger pre-titles when he was um, setting the bombs to blow up the stuff, and he had the dinner jacket underneath his the tuxedo underneath his wetsuit. You remember that? I do remember that. So, do you could you compare the two? Do you think that they're comparable, or did you like one more than the other? Thunderball versus a uh, Goldfinger. I think I liked. I think I liked pre-titles. Thunderball a little bit better. I think for two reasons. One, I think for me, this, the pre-title sequence showed more of the detective angle, the actual Mm -hmm. police work that Bond was doing. For example, to even note that small detail of the widow opening her own car door and the way that she got in. And also the effect of the, it's one thing to, you know, change out of a wetsuit and you you reveal that you've got a completely dry tuxedo on underneath, even though you're not sweating. (laughs) But right. it's another thing for you to escape the scene in a jetpack. <laughs> okay, so you rate that a little uh, higher. And, and then we, you know, and you also see the car. You see a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I think that's a big kind of like a hat tip to this pre-titles is that you get a lot of Bondian things. You know, you get a lot that, of the goods. Yeah, yeah, including the flirtation. You know, when the French agent says to him, "Is there anything else I can do for you, Mister Bond?" Mm-hmm. He said he looks at her for a second, and says maybe later <laughs> you know yeah. it's like me too the me too is is right you know yeah. that's definitely a me too thing but you know it 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 fits his you know misogynistic dinosaur you know um, mm-hmm. personality in the sense that you know that was something he would say the flirtation is there and then you get the car and then you you know you got the gadgets you got the fights so you get a lot of bondian things in this this pre-titles um so i i, I, I liked it i'm with you i, I like the pre-titles as well i don't I don't know if I liked it more than Goldfinger. Not that not that that's a, a thing or some type of metric we should use, but um, I, I the one thing I do I like variety in Bond. So it was interesting mm-hmm. to see him fight, you know, someone who is quote unquote is equal, you know, because previous to that, in the Goldfinger pre-titles, he did have a fight with you know man to man or hand to hand fight with somebody who could maybe take him or he had a chance of taking them, but the big yeah. fight in Goldfinger was him and um odd job who he had no hand mm-hmm. he had no chance against odd job hand to hand but he beat him you know through his wits and i kind yes. love seeing bond defeat someone through intelligence you know through his wits um but i also like occasionally seeing a red grant type you know throwdown where it's just like you know brutal mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so I, I appreciated that in this film to see you know the uh the hand to hand kind of brutality so I, yeah, I like this pre-title as well. Now, how did you feel about the song, Tom Jones, Thunderball? How did you feel about the song? Um, I thought the song this, was cool. Was this the first time you heard the song? 
Yeah, it was the first time I heard oh, this song. Oh, okay. Okay. Are you a Tom Jones fan? I mean, I don't, not like, like John, Tom Jones, but it's not like, like, I, I got some Dusty Springfield records. I don't have any Don, Don, Tom Jones okay. records. Uh, so I don't I have neither, but okay. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if It's Not Unusual comes on the radio, I'm, you know, I'm going to turn it up. <laughs> I, 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 I just, I liked how it fit. I liked how, I liked how the production scaled as the brand scaled. Mm-hmm. And Tom Jones, who this really was like the equivalent of Adele doing the theme for Skyfall. for Skyfall. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he, he was n- new in his career at the time, um, and he was he was the you know the 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 big thing, mm-hmm. and it was a th- you know and for Tom Jones to do the next James Bond film. You know, it just added to that excitement that I would imagine the promotions were doing at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, fun fact, I read that he actually fainted in the st- studio recording <laughs> the last mm-hmm. note after he hit that last note. Um, mm-hmm. And I did not appreciate after hearing Thunderball, after hearing the theme, even just last night, the first time ever hearing it before, I kind of got why Tom Jones is Tom Jones, like why he's like the thing. I mean, dude could really throw down mm-hmm. <laughs> vocally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He put his all into that. Yeah. He thinks that the fight is worth it all. So he strikes like thunder. we're going to do this several times talking about Thunderball but it was an interesting contrast with Shirley Bassey's Goldfinger Mm -hmm. because she delivers that song as well Um, Mm -hmm. and fun fact she actually uh, did a theme for Thunderball um, but it wasn't long enough yeah the, 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 the title of the film wasn't in the song so there were some changes you know that were made um, yeah, but yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't mad at the song at all. And the, you know, the pre-title was, you know, just classic, you know, naked women's oh, the silhouettes title, yeah, the underwater. Sequence, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maurice Ben Maurice Bender at his best. Yeah. You know, we talk about Bond films. It's just, you just, it, there's a, there's a creep factor that mm-hmm. is always <laughs> at the top level of this. So I have to be really... <laughs> strategic and choosing my words you know right right you can't you can't be like yeah i love that and you're like oh wait wait a minute let me let me me quantify that (laughs) but i I think you know tom jones um i mean i'm like yeah i'm not a you know i don't i'd be hard pressed to name his albums or anything um Mm -hmm. but i i it's interesting man i've grown to like his the thunderball theme song more because um, mm, I used mm. to really not like it, and I think the reason I really didn't like it was because I prefer to hear women sing around, sing about James Bond rather than hear ah. men sing about. With yeah. the notable exception, you know, I'm you know of uh, Duran Duran and um, Chris Cornell, uh, Chris Cornell, you know, so mm-hmm. uh, you know my name. So, but I pref- usually I prefer to hear women sing about James Bond. Yeah. And so I think it's like almost like a prejudice against I had uh, that I had against Thunderball, mm-hmm. you know, the theme song. But as I've gotten older, I've grown to appreciate that song more. 
So I, I like I like the song. I still there's some lyrics in there that just to me didn't really hit right. Um, I, mm. I won't. I can't think of any, any of them offhand. But as I was listening to it the other night, I was like, ooh, what, what? You know, that that just seems like kind of a throwaway line. But overall, it does describe Bond. You know, he breaks hearts. You know, doesn't give a shit. You know, it's like it, mm-hmm. it really just it really just nails him down as a character, and it's definitely a stereotypical um masculine song you know um Mm -hmm. from the male's male point of view of who james bond is um so you know i can appreciate in that context i've heard um if you haven't heard them you guys should all listen to not only did shirley bassey record mr mr kiss kiss bang bang which was going to be the theme song for this for this movie Mm -hmm. Dionne warwick did a version of Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. They were considering her as well. Oh. Um, and I would just recommend everybody search that out. You can probably find it, I'm sure, on YouTube. Matter of fact, I know you can find it on YouTube. Um, so I would listen to both of those versions. And they're, they're different. You know, they're different than uh, Thunderball, the ultimate song that, that Tom Jones did. But uh, so it's not necessarily that I prefer one over the other. Um, like I said, I think my appreciation for, for Tom Jones' song is, has gone up. Uh, but I still, I guess I, I prefer to hear a woman sing about, sing about Bond. All right. Um, next section, let's get into rated Bond. How did you feel, Arthur? Um, let's rate Bond himself in this film. Everything from his clothing, his attitude, his decisions. Yeah. How great or not great was James Bond in this movie? You want to go first? Um, no, you go first this time. Um, I thought James Bond in this film is interesting. We had, let's go back to the beginning, the mad facts that we laid out as far as where we were. Mm-hmm. You know, this is we're still in the afterglow of Goldfinger. Yeah. And for a lot of people, Goldfinger is like the epitome of James Bond. It's like that's when he that's when Connery like really because this was the, it was the third film. And it was like where he just mastered, you know, what I'm saying what James Bond is like all the elements came together. And mm-hmm. it was just like, OK, this is the. This is the uh, archetype of what James Bond is going to be for the next, you know, they didn't know it then at the time, but for the next 40 some years. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're in the afterglow of that. And I think that a lot of that is the confidence that he has in this film, that Bond himself, um, the humor that he has, you know, he's mm-hmm. constantly cracking little side jokes. He's very flippant, flippant and frivolous through a lot of this. That was funny mm-hmm. to me. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, with, with the throwing the tulips on the, the man he just murdered. Um, grabbing the grape when he really should be getting the hell out of that room. Um, his comments to, uh, the, the, what was the, the lady at the, uh, the health spa, um, who, who he me to the hell out of, um, what was her name? Patricia, the actress is, uh, Patricia Fearing, I think is her name. Um, but she, you know, just his attitude and just the way that he comes off to her and just his comments to, um, uh, later on to Fiona Volpe, everything, mm-hmm. you know, it was, he was very much, the swagger was in definite effect, you know, in this, in this film. And it felt good. You know, it felt like he had grown into the role. He had created the role, defined the role, and now he was just fulfilling it to his utmost. Um, now, as far as how he performed as a secret agent, there was a lot more to the, to your point earlier, there's a lot more investigation in this film than other, you know, than we mm-hmm. previously yeah. seen. He had to do yeah. a lot of, um, putting the dots together, looking, creeping around. Um, dare I say it, he did some espionage work. You know, he actually yeah. did some spy work, um, which doesn't happen a lot sometimes in some Bond movies. Um, so I, I rate him kind of high there. The, but I, I got to be honest with you, man. 
his, you know, this overall Thunderball to me, the reason I wanted to talk about it and instead of some of the other movies, it is in many ways from a plot standpoint is very, it takes, it's painstaking in its attempts to make sure you understand why things are happening. Yeah. Yeah. Where things are like inserted, like this is here. This is why we're going here. This is why we're doing this. But then there's also these little things that they, it's almost like, the um, lack of experience maybe with some of the producers where it's like, for instance, Bond will be swimming, you know, and it's clear that he doesn't have shoes on. He steps out of the water. He has shoes on like that happened like you know, a couple of times. Where it's like yeah. <laughs> just little things like that. It's like why or different cuts. Um, there's just certain things in here that's like the filmmaking hasn't aged as well as it as it could were they if they had just paid mm-hmm. attention to different little things mm-hmm. but the storytelling in itself is very um thorough in its attempts to make sure you understand where the plot is going how bond moves through that to me is interesting because he doesn't some of the um negatives about the plot some of the plot points and some of the narrative that's really kind of not interesting or boring or whatever it doesn't seem to weigh on him as a character. You know, he's still having fun and you're having fun with him. Um, Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed him in this movie. And I also have to say the clothing was off the chain. I mean, I'm one of those people that you go, if I go see a movie that's primarily takes place in Jamaica or the Bahamas or wherever, anywhere where people are usually just wearing, you know, loose shirts or shorts or sandals or whatever, you know, sartorial wise, it's like, that's not interesting to me because it's like, they're just going to all look, you know, like they're on a beach. Yeah. Bond looked GQ the whole damn movie. You know, every shirt, every even those little short, short, short shorts that he was wearing. It was like mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. always looked he, he looked dope throughout the whole movie. Um, all the women were dressed to the nines. You know, even uh, yeah. his his assistant Paula, she was GQ. Paula, you know? shout out to Paula. Uh-huh. Shout out to Paula. We'll talk about her in a minute. But um, yeah, so the clothing was great. He looked good. Um, he was confident. He was funny. He did a lot of investigate a lot of investigation. I liked him more, um, I think, in previous films, but I, in you know, Goldfinger, Russia from Love, I think. But I think that's just my personal taste as far as like what yeah. kind of hero uh, or, or uh, protagonist I like. Um, but in this movie, he was he he put down the template perfectly for what a lot of the Bond films would try to emulate, you know, in the coming years. So how did you feel about him in this film? Um, I agree with a lot of what you said. I feel that films two, three, and four from Russia with Love, Goldfinger, and Thunderball, I think those are the sort of the epitome of, you know, like the Bond trilogy package, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this Bond that really kind of got me was the combination of the control that he had over the character and the confidence along with the mm. detective element, the spy element to that's it. That's a good, that's such that, a good that word. You didn't get so you didn't get you didn't get so direct with it in Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. And Goldfinger is a lot of what he usually does, poses as he's supposed to be posing as someone, but kinda ignores that and, and like he forgot what his alias was. Oh, I'm Bond, James Bond. <laughs> right. You I know. forgot I was supposed to have an alias. <laughs> you know, and here uh, he doesn't even worry about an alias. He's like, you know what? My name is James Bond. You know, you right. probably know me. Um, <laughs> I, al- I also liked I'm how you saw the, the Spectre meeting in mm-hmm. the opening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got an idea of what Spectre is. You know, it's this, it's this international criminal organization that extorts 
and destabilizes other government through these ways, you know. And you and I was able to follow. Okay, uh, Largo, the 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 Specters number two, mm-hmm. you know, has got this project, and the project is extort NATO. We're gonna steal their plane Jackson with two bombs. nukes on it. You know, we <laughs> right. got a man inside already, and we're gonna get two hundred sixty million or a hundred million in sterling, mm-hmm. and. It, it it made sense that you know that tracked all the way through. You got elaborate mm-hmm. in how they stole the plane, how they hid the plane, and you were also made aware that there was a window, a clear window of time in which Bond had to solve this puzzle. So right. there was a certain tension that was overarching that you kind I would get lost mm-hmm. with in other Bond films where it just seemed like he just had. You know, M would just send him off. Hey, well, look, you know, if you get this done, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Just check back in when you're done. Here, it felt like it felt like a complete narrative in the same kind of way that Casino Royale felt complete. Mm -hmm. This is how we started. This is how we finished. I really like the word that you use control. I, I think that that he, you know, Connery's control over this character in this film was even is even greater than it was in, in Goldfinger. You know, it was because it was all the elements. You know, it was everything. Mm-hmm. Like we said, it was mm-hmm. not just the action. It was also the humor. It was the intelligence. Um, it was the, you know, the the casual, um, um, like I said, the frivolity that he possessed, you know, towards certain situations that you probably shouldn't be frivolous towards. Uh, all those things came together and he really controlled it. So I, I really like that that description. And to your point, I think it, it helped him as a character navigate all of these things that you're talking about, you know, the, the mm-hmm. tension. Because there was, listen, the underwater, Thunderball is maligned a lot because of the underwater sequences. You know, a lot of people don't like the, you know, the slow motion underwater stuff. Um, yeah. A lot of people who don't like this film, um, you know, say that, okay, mm-hmm. the, the underwater sequences slowed it down to the point where I'd get disinterested, you know. Um, but it's just so if you pay attention to those things, all everything is, everything is related. Everything's done for a reason. And mm-hmm. bond has to, we're, we're ahead of bond throughout a lot of this film. Like we know things that he doesn't know, you know, and which is, mm-hmm. which is unique mm-hmm. in a bond film. And he, you know, we watch him suss a lot of these things out. And I think the way that Connery kind of portrays that without losing who bond is as a person, you know, like we talked about at the beginning, you know, he, the flirtation that he has with the French agent, um, his interactions later on with, um, you know, with uh, what's her name, uh, Fiona Volpe, um, mm-hmm. all these things kind of like play on play into who he is as a character. But he's still dealing with the larger, the bigger picture and keeping his eye on that. Um, there's a key scene later on between him and Domino where um, he's just told her that his, you know, her brother has died. Um, and he's completely on task during that scene because he has to get her to, you know, become his ally in order right. to get the information that he needs, you know, about the about the disco volante. And that's a really bonding moment because he's just made love to this woman. Now he's telling her her brother died. And right. by the way, you know, you, you don't have no time to process that because I need you to do X, Y and Z. Yeah. Um, and we're, and we're, a, we're to believe that they made love underwater. Underwater. Yeah. That's, we'll get to that. That was in scuba gear. Yeah. <laughs> 
The underwater part really didn't shock me as much. It was the scuba gear. That's not like, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. You had that on. She uh, had this on. What exactly? And you see all the that, bubbles come up. I'm like, How'd that go? And no, and keep in mind, this wasn't their, uh-huh. this wasn't their third, fourth, fifth, sixth, hundredth time making love. It was their first time. So he sees her in the water. She sees him. They say, hey, how you doing? Right. And how'd that communication go? Without uh-huh. talking. <laughs> you know, no communication, no nothing. This is the moment <laughs> yep. where we're going to handle what we want to handle. And so let's right. go down here to this cave underground and let's underwater and do this with the scuba gear. Anyway, um, all of these things. But there's a moment, though, like, you know, after that, immediately after that, there's a moment when he's telling her about um, Bond is telling her about, you know, her brother and he puts on his sunglasses and I've always wondered why he chose that moment to put on his, his sunglasses. I was watching a vid, um, one of the behind the scenes, not behind the scenes, one of the YouTubers vid was, was kind of like, um, a hypothesis that Bond put on his sunglasses at that moment to hide his emotions, you know, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. when he hands her, he hands her, her brother's items, a watch, you know, the dog tags, his yeah. hand is shaking. If you watch that scene, his hand is mm-hmm. shaking a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like for just a second, he felt something, you know, it was like, he was mm-hmm. telling this, this woman that, you know, she's the uh, only person that she huh. loves in the world uh-huh. is dead and they just made love. And he's like, he's, he's, he's feeling something. So mm-hmm. to stay on task and to hide his emotion, he throws the sunglasses on. I don't know if that's true. But I just like the I, I kind of like the idea. That's headcanon a little bit for me. Um, I like that idea, and I like that the way Bond is portrayed in that that moment. I thought it was very interesting. So I rate him. I rate Bond pretty high in this movie. It sounds like you do as, as well, and you and you like the the clothing as well, right? Oh yeah, especially the gear that he was wearing at the health club when he's um, sneaking around. Yeah, when he's <laughs> when he's sneaking mm-hmm. around, he leaves Molly in bed to go get some air or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he finds that um, he finds the body double, Duvall's body double, mm-hmm. and he's got on, and it's like a four-button, almost like tunic collar, mm-hmm. that's sort of like off-center, mm-hmm. and you see him rolling his sleeves up. But when he he's in the hallway, we cut to the scene where he's in the hallway walking to the room where he knows that the what he discovers is a corpse mm-hmm. his sleeves are like all the way up like it's a t-shirt almost. and i'm thinking <laughs> did he roll his sleeves like all the way up or is that a different shirt yeah i i, I liked I, I mean I, he didn't wear anything i'm trying to think because there are some you know, like there's some moments you know in certain films the beginning of goldfinger when he's in that by the poolside and he's wearing i don't know what the hell he has on but it's like wow that's that's not a good look but there's there's nothing in this film and i was i was actually shocked by that um there's nothing in this film that he wears and then like i said the ladies look fantastic um so yeah bond bond looked great in this film so i, I give him a, a a thumbs up on the rating it sounds like we both do so moving on women versus villain um this is where we discuss the bond women bond villain in this film who do we like best in the movie the bond women or the bond villain so do you want to talk about the villains or the women first I'll talk about the women. I'll say overall, it was it was kind of a toss up for me. Mm-hmm. The women. Um, I sometimes wondered, did we need? I knew that we needed Domino and Fiona. Fiona mm-hmm. being a member of Spectre, working with the the antagonist Emilio Largo, who's Spectre's mm-hmm. number two. Um, and I know that we needed Domino, who was 
posed as Emilio's niece because of the great age difference between the two, but was mm-hmm. really his his mistress. mistress. Kept woman, yeah, as she yeah. puts it, yeah. Um, because, because Domino is useful in, at least she attempts to be useful in acquiring information for, you know, for Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I felt that they got in the way of each other or mm. they conflicted, not conflicted with each other, but conflicted with Bond ultimately getting what he needs because he kept getting interrupted by having to interact with these with these two women. And it, it became difficult for me to sort of like keep track who was who. And I felt that, <laughs> that I felt that, see, I felt that Paula was really underused. Mm. And yes. Paula was his assistant, basically. But... Mm. Paula was also supposed to be, at least I was, the way that she was presented to me, like how I inferred it, you know, that Paula was low-key skilled, but they took out Paula real quick, you know, yeah. and and I just felt that that was, it was just dumb, and, mm-hmm. you know, the way that she was taken out and the way that Bond discovered her and the fact that he showed absolutely no emotion at all mm. felt a little out of character. There was like a 1.5 second of emotion, <laughs> maybe 0.5 seconds. When he looks at her and sees her, there's like a second, again, literally, maybe a second where you see the in his eyes, like the, oh, fuck, you know, like that for just like a second. And it, it just completely goes away. And it's to the point, Arthur, when he says later, when, um, he's giving instructions to the assistant, the other guy. And he's like, you know, tell Felix, blah, blah, blah. And oh yeah. And tell him Paul is dead. And the guy's yep. just like, okay. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, you got it. Cool. <laughs> oh my God. I was just like, yeah, it was like no regard at all. That was horrible, man. That was, that was, that was a part where I was like, did anybody who was looking at that script or in that moment think, Hmm, that doesn't come off right. You know, cause even for, listen, we're talking mm. about spies. We're talking about people, you know, who are not supposed to have these emotions or at least supposed to put them on hold long enough to accomplish right. a mission. But at the same right. time that just came off. So, you know, it just came off so terrible. It was just like side note, you know, saying addendum, by the way, Paul yeah. is dead. That was bad yeah. enough. Then the other guy is just like, okay. Okay. Like he just told him, you know, it's going to rain tomorrow. You know, it was, it yep. was terrible. That yeah, that that really yeah, that really bothered me. And I do feel that Paula had some vindication years and years later in um was it Quantum of Solace when who was the agent the who who really was an admin uh that picked Bond up from the airport? Oh, Strawberry Fields, yeah. Strawberry, Strawberry Fields. Fields. And the yeah. way that she died and the way that mm-hmm. M ripped into yeah. Daniel Craig's bond. I felt yeah. it's like okay, that was like vindication for <laughs> what you all did to Paula. Vindication for the first the, for the twenty something movies that you've done this to, that you because yeah. she yeah. I'm asking him in that scene, you know, how many is that? Then you know they'll do anything for you, Bond. You know, for, for you, you know, you're, they'll fall for anything and then they'll do anything for you. And how many is that now? You know, it was like ooh, that was that was rough, but yeah, it was well deserved. Um, even though she wasn't necessarily talking about, you know, Connery's women, but still, yeah. I, I get, I get your point. Yeah. Um, but in terms of just who, you know, who was the best, it's like Fiona, Fiona was the best to me as part of the execution squad and, um, the motorcycle with the gun barrels on it. Um, mm-hmm. how she's in on 
setting up the body double mm-hmm. um, and the way that she handles Emilio. She's not afraid of him. You mm-hmm. know, she knows that she's the muscle of this and she can actually get this done. She worked independently. Right. She was the only right. she was the only woman that worked independently in the whole thing. Yeah. So I, I give her I give her I, high marks. I, you know, I'm I'm not conflicted. I love the Bond women in this movie. And I, I think this is one of the strongest lineups of Bond women. And yes, I'm also talking about appearance. And I think that mm-hmm. I agree with you a thousand percent about um, um, uh, what you call being underused. Um, I, I feel that her character and what's the actress's name uh, that played Paula. Yeah, that played Paula. Um, oh, she was played by Martine Beswick. Yeah, I feel that she and, you know, there's a trivia question, a bonus I'm going to ask you later. So I'm not going to ask it now, but I'm going to give you a bonus trivia question involving her, um, that actress. But I, th- I feel like she was severely underused, even in some of the scenes she was in, Arthur, because there's some scenes she's in the background looking stunning and i'm like why is she not you know what i'm saying it's like why are we not having more dialogue with her why isn't she there's a promo if you have the if you watch the extras on the blu-ray or the digital version um where they're hyping up I'm, it's on screen now you can see how they're hyping up all the bond women in the film and they refer to her as i think the bronze do they call her a bronze bombshell i can't remember what they call her, a bronze something um but yeah she should have been used a lot more so i agree with you there but I feel that these, if you look at um, Paula, Fiona, Domino, mm-hmm, even mm-hmm, Molly, mm-hmm. Patricia Fearing's character. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, even the French agent in the beginning. These are, mm-hmm. you know, these are winners, bro. <laughs> it's like these, like you winning. You know what I'm saying? It's like you winning, winning, winning. You know, it's yeah. like you winning all the way through. So it's like this is one of the strongest lineups. Just I'm just right now. I'm just talking about appearance. It's one of the strongest lineups of you know mm-hmm. beautiful women in all the Bond mm-hmm. films. Now getting to the actual characters, here's where they also win to me because specifically with the ones that they focused on. Because like I said, they underused Paula and her yeah. death. The way they handled her death was terrible. Yeah. Um, and with Patricia Fearing's character is one of the, the Molly characters, one of the worst incidents of Me Too in the whole franchise. You know, it was like he completely mm-hmm. coerced her into he blackmailed her into sex, um, even though they played it as if she was, you know, she was humorously going along with it at the end. Um, the way that came off was terrible. But the two characters that they got right or they did, they did right by primarily were Fiona and Domino. Uh, Fiona who makes love to Bond and then tells him afterwards, what did you think I was going to, you know, flip sides or become one, you know, age mm, you. Yeah. Basically uh-huh. she was saying, did you think I was going to be like pussy galore from Goldfinger? And because I slept with you all sudden, I'm going to call and, you know, uh, tell everybody that there's, you know, the whole plan, Goldfinger's whole plan to help you win. No, 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 I'm not doing all that. I'm with Spectre. I'm here for a job. I didn't mm-hmm. fall for none of your charms. Um, mm-hmm. answer that door so my guys can take you and we're going to take you somewhere and kill you. You know what I'm saying? It was like yeah. her character, Fiona Volpe's character, um, I thought was just, it was. I, I loved her before that moment, but at that moment it was like, okay, this is one of the best Bond women slash villains slash hench women um, that we've had, that we, you know, we they've had in the entire series. Um, so I loved her character. Then Domino, I loved because Domino was realistic about the fact you got the sadness from her in the beginning where she admits she's like, you know, I'm a kept woman, I'm a mm-hmm. mistress. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, you see that sadness in her and she wants to, you know, the minute she finds out about her brother's death, 
you see it in her eyes where she's ready to, to, you know, she's ready to do something. She's very upset about this. She wants to kill this. She wants to kill Largo and Largo tortures her later. And which was a hard scene because when she's rescued by um, the guy, the little scientist who comes and, you know, uncuts, you know, takes off her, uh, uh, the, the unties her, you know, the binders. She, you know, she's very dour. She's very upset. You can tell that there's been some off screen torture that we didn't, you know, that that has gone Mm -hmm. down. It's, mm-hmm. it's a real low moment. So for her to be the one that she saves Bond's life, she kills Largo. They give you, they make it so that Largo turns around to see, yeah, it was her. So she can look at him and be like, yes, motherfucker, I'm the one that killed you. You know, mm-hmm. she gives him that look. That was great. I love that moment. And I feel that um, her character, Domino, is one of my favorite Bond women in the whole series. So I, I rate the Bond women very high. But let me ask you this, the Bond villains. So, th- you know, we got... This is the third film where we get Spectre, um, three out of four films now. I think it's the second film where we get Blofeld, although I think he's just referred to as number one. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we don't see him, so we don't see Donald right, We don't see him, So, but you see we get Largo. Um, like I said, we have Fiona Volpe. Um, we have the, uh, the guy who gets killed, the one that Fiona takes out. We have a lot of Spectre people throughout this film. So how did you rate the villains in this in comparison to the women? Or first of all, how did you rate the villains, and then who did you like more—the the, the villains or the women? Um, I I rated I rated the villains pretty high overall, but I felt that Emilio Largo, as second in command, mm. did way too much in this movie. Like he had no business. <laughs> Being part of the underground crew, dude. I was drinking some water, and you said that I almost spit out my water. So you felt, my man, your management. Why are you involved in these things? He was micromanaging. Why are you in the ocean with sharks? If you're my number two, I don't need you getting eaten by sharks. Thank you. You got peoples for that. Exactly. 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 Okay. Which immediately, you know, questioned the competence of your of your people and, and your management style. I, I mean, it's funny that you said it because a lot of people like the fact that Largo is so hands on because he's especially in the end when him and Bond get into the, the you know, because the, the, previously like the movie, not to keep comparing this to Goldfinger, but Goldfinger wasn't getting, you know, he wasn't doing that. You know what I'm saying? No. He, his minions were <laughs> definitely involved in that. Yeah. He was just managing, you know what I'm saying? And then he, you yeah. know, if he needed to shoot somebody every once in a while. He would do that. But he definitely wasn't getting hands on and he wasn't a physical match for Bond. So it was interesting to see Largo be so hands on. But but I get your point. He should have been more of a of a manager as number two. But I liked I liked Largo's I liked Largo's style. I mean mm. the dude kept sharks <laughs> in the pool, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um occasionally he, fit a henchman to them. It, it, right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um I felt that the the gadgets that he had were at the level of what Bond had, you know. He's got mm-hmm. this yacht with an underwater compartment that he can store the bombs in, you know. He's got underwater apparatuses that can travel at high speeds that he can transport things and they got their harpoon equipped, you know. I mean, he was re- he was ready to go. He was yeah. ready to go toe to toe, you know, with Bond. And I wasn't mad at the fight scene at the end, and I really wasn't mad at the yacht that broke down to basically uh, uh, an extra large speedboat that somehow went. That was dope. I don't know, two hundred so knots. <laughs> Dude, when he said when he said jettison the cocoon, I'm like, that may be one of the dopest things I've heard anybody saying. 
jettison the cocoon. I'm like, that sounds weird as yeah. hell, but it's like, it's also very cool. And then when it happened, I was like, oh shit, the, you know, it was like the uh-huh. detached and the thing just took off. I was like, we need to do that like in a, in a 2021 movie so we can see that with some updated effects because that was dope. I would put him at the top of the Bond antagonists. You really, you really liked him, yeah. Strongberg might be still my number one. Hmm, after okay. seeing Lar- after seeing Largo what was coming with because Stromberg had from Spy Who Loved Me had his own joint in the middle of the ocean <laughs> he had Jaws on speed dial right. he had sharks Strom- Stromberg wasn't Stromberg was not playing around but aside from Fiona uh, Largo didn't have a whole lot of help mm-hmm. that's because he was always doing I, everything himself <laughs> it's like well, he wouldn't let step um, up he had Vargas he had Vargas um, yeah, know, but wasn't Vargas the one that got shot with a harpoon? Yes, he got harpoon. He got the point, as Bond said. He got the point. Um, he should have seen that coming. He should have been ready for it. <laughs> All right. So on your on your end, Bond women versus Bond villain. The, to me, they I don't have I don't have a clear I don't have a clear winner mm. because you make you make a strong case for the women. Mm. Okay, I raised. I didn't give. Okay. I did not. I did not give Domino that much credit but after hearing what you were saying i had to recognize the way that each of those women handled bond you know in a conversational style mm-hmm. aside from you know poor molly at the at the spa mm-hmm. but the conversation they you know each one were really like handling him like i'm not i'm i'm not, you know i'm just not young and dumb mm-hmm. right right um, you know, for me, man, the villains, I love the villains in this film because, first of all, the Ken Adams set when Largo um, in, in, in Paris, when we first meet Largo and he's walking across. I love how he gets out of his car and just walks across the street, like fuck the traffic. Sure. Because he almost gets hit. But he's just like, I'm, yeah. I'm Largo. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I'm, this guy's going to stop. So he just walks uh-huh. dead into the street and, you know, the uh-huh. car just swerves a little bit, misses him. But then when you walk into that Spectre meeting, um, that Ken Adams set, man. Oh my God. It's, it's, it's so, it's, it's so dope. It's so dope. And I love, cause generally sometimes when Blofeld is hitting, it's kind of annoying, you know what I'm saying? For me, you know, it's like, we don't get to see his face. Like, okay, I see what you're doing this time. The way that shade was like halfway down and it was like, I don't know. It was just something about the way it was presented his voice. And that's, that's one of my favorite Blofeld performances is, you know, in Thunderball, maybe, I don't know. Is it my favorite? I don't know. It was just, it, it may be my favorite, but definitely up there at the top, just the way he's presented his command, um, just his, his attitude is just everything, you know, uh, the way he, he fries a dude in his chair, all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I, you know, specter the way it was presented in this film, I loved it. Um, the only thing I side note, it was funny to me how, and again, this is what, you know, Thunderball is one of the main sources of uh, emulation when, you know, or when, or parody when people want to parody, you know, Bond, James Bond. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it was funny to me how all the Spectre agents wore their ring. You know, it was yeah. it's like we're, we're a clandestine, you know, organization. We're secret. <laughs> but we all wear this ring. <laughs> it's like, And it's the biggest ring ever. Big ass fat ring, you know, and we all have one. If you want to identify who's in this organization, we won't make it hard. You know what I'm saying? So that was, <laughs> right. that was hilarious to me, but um, I love Spectre. I liked, um, like you, I really liked Largo um, for all mm-hmm. the reasons I mm-hmm. mentioned. Um, and some of the reasons you mentioned as well, I really like Fiona Volpe for all the reasons that she's one of my favorite villains slash hench persons in the entire series. 
Um, Vargas was underused a little bit to me. I like how they set him mm-hmm. up, but like you said, mm-hmm. he, he got taken out a little too. He easily. had the look too. Yeah, he had the look. He looked demented. Um, so I really like the villains, and I but I gotta say, man, I think because for a moment I was gonna do, I was gonna say the exact same. You you were gonna say that I think they're they're level to me, the villains and the women. And a matter of fact, I will say that that's that's my answer. They're even. But if you put yeah. a gun in my head and say I had to choose one, I would choose the women simply because it was unusual at this time to see a Domino and Fiona, who won again was not charmed, you know, did not fall under Bond's spell um, after making mm-hmm. love to him. And then the other didn't depend upon like a damsel in distress to get, you know, for Bond to save her. She killed the man who had, you know, physically mm-hmm. and emotionally abused her. Um, mm-hmm. So as a matter mm-hmm. of fact, fuck that. Women. I'm going with the Bond women over the villains. Right. Even though I love, right. even though this was my favorite portrayal of Blofeld and I love Spectre in this movie, beautiful Ken Adams set. I'm going to go with the Bond women. So, all right. all right, let's wrap this up. Any last words before we move into uh, Q&A, the trivia part of the show? you have any more last words on this film? Yeah, you know, just like this is one of my new favorites. I have to reorder my 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 favorite Bond movie mm. lists. How did you feel about the underwater sequences? Did they slow things up for you? You know, I, I, I didn't have a problem with that. I didn't have a problem with that. And I and I think I think what I was I may have been overcompensating for um appreciating what this must have been like in real time. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think anybody had ever seen um uh you know, a um a choreographed, an extensively choreographed underwater fight scene mm-hmm. between the CIA presumably CIA agents and, you know, Largo's you know, Specter, Specter, yeah, Specter, uh, folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the way that they integrated sharks into these sequences mm-hmm. um, was because there were a few times when the, the time when Felix Leiter lands the helicopter in the ocean and Bond's <laughs> like, "I'm going down." I'm like, "What?" And then he's like, "Yeah, shoot one of them," and you know they actually probably shot one of them <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> animal cruelty was a thing you know i'm sure that they probably just lit a bunch of sharks up just like okay did we got the shot no okay let's shoot another yeah you know you know to me man that underwater stuff it was i remember the first time i think i i I vaguely remember the first time i saw thunderball and it did you know especially when they steal the bombs in the beginning that sequence Mm -hmm. goes on for a very long time Yeah. Um, Cause they show you exactly like in case what you they ever did. want to do this shit in real life. You exactly. Here's you're going to need about 15, bombs. 20 people. <laughs> you're going to need a really big net and you're going to need two teams. <laughs> exactly. And a camera to film you do all this thing so you can show other people. So it, it was like, it was very slow and very painstakingly filmed. And it was like, okay, I get it. You know, they stole the bombs, but again, as I've gotten older and got more patient, you know, I watch it and I actually, kind of like seeing you know the step by step and then it must be said man that last battle um the climax of the end that's a brutal yeah. fight that's a brutal underwater yeah. fight man i mean they were stabbing cats in the eyes and yeah everybody was the, getting harpooned the forearm and, and dude got hit in the face and it's like man it was a lot going on and i'm like and then bond was just you know going through chasing traipsing through grabbing this person shooting that person stabbing this person it was like mm-hmm. And that went on for a long time, um, but mm-hmm. I never got bored because it was just like there's this is just like a lot of action with nobody talking and everybody moving slow. Um, so I enjoyed it. So, yeah. But overall, I, I, you know, Thunderball is, again, it's a very interesting film to me. I don't think it's 
it's not a perfect film and there's a lot of there's a lot of issues you know a lot of small little things that don't really make mm-hmm. sense um even though the plot overall is again very laid out and very thought through mm-hmm. um but yeah it, it is it, it still is a, a a really good 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 bond film to me and one of the ones that really epitomizes him as a character um despite his his uh his faults um, okay, so yes, it, let me. Can I say two things really quick? Thing uh, one is a lot of product placement, mm. particularly with the cars. A lot of Ford and Lincoln products. We had a suicide door Lincoln. We had mm. the Lincoln limousine in the opening sequence, and then we had a suicide convertible Lincoln Continental um, mm. Bonds in Nassau. We have Fiona driving a 1965 Ford Mustang. The first mm. year the Mustang came out, so that wow. was a new car. And we also had uh, presumably uh, a 65 Thunderbird that was mm. Largo's car that he pulls up in the opening mm. sequence when he just gallantly walks across the street. Mm. <laughs> I, right. In my favorite scene. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's, that's interesting. I, I didn't pick up. I'm not a car person, so it's not surprising. I didn't pick up on that. But um, that's it. I wonder if there is if this was, you know, again, an afterglow of Goldfinger. I would think so. Yeah, you know, was in the position to be like, yeah, you want your product figure, in here? How much money you got? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. But the second thing, specific to Thunderball, what I mm-hmm. didn't like. One thing I didn't like about Thunderball was mm-hmm. that, like, at, at the beginning of the third act, where mm-hmm. M and the Home Secretary, they've got like fourteen hours left before they have to pay this ransom to Spectre. Mm-hmm. The Home Secretary is is. Um, um, down on Bond not coming up with results. Right. You know, and M is kind of like, you know, I thought he was on to something. But <laughs> right. at the beginning of the film, M was checking the Canadian uh, yeah. he defended NATO him. cat, defended Bond to say that, mm-hmm. look, if my man says he saw this guy that you say and he was dead in Nassau, that's what he saw. You know, but at the <laughs> right. end of the film, it's, it's like... Bond, Bond found the plane. Bond found the body. Mm. <laughs> Both of them. Bond found. <laughs> Bond found the nukes. Bond, mm. Bond found everything. We don't hear nothing. We don't hear nothing about the Home Secretary <laughs> eating crow and apologizing. You wanted like a post credit scene. You wanted a post credit right. scene. I, I needed a. Yeah, I needed. I needed a version of Bond getting awarded like Princess Leia awarded <laughs> right. Solo and. He did. They 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 Chewbacca Bond in this movie. He, he just got. They did. He got <laughs> All right. Um, let's wrap this up. Question and Arthur Q and A. So the way we do this game, um, Isaac will ask Arthur three trivia questions based on the film. Arthur gets twenty five points for each question he answers correctly. Um, listeners should play along and keep track of their score after we review uh, the last film in this this uh, edition of 007 and Counting in a few weeks. We'll tally up the scores and discover uh, your level and Arthur's level of bond unrealness. So last time, Arthur, um, if you don't remember when we did Live and Let Die, you got two out of the three questions correct. So you got 50 points out of 75 points. Um, how confident are you feeling today? You, you warmed up? You ready? Um, I'm, a, I'm as ready as I'm going to be. And you see both <laughs> hands are on the side of my face. I'll I'm tell you right now, one notes. of the questions, <laughs> and this usually happens, usually as we talk about the movie, you'll actually yeah. answer one. Of, so I got to scratch off a question and it's like, nah, I'm not <laughs> used to that. so I create like about five questions knowing two of them. Mm-hmm. One of the questions was going to be, 
how did Bond, you know, know that homeboy was a woman in the beginning of the film? What tipped him off? Ah. And of course, you, you were like, you know, you talked about the corridor already. So that was, you could have got an easy one. That would have been a layup right there. You, you, you messed that up for yourself. Um, but I think this first one, I think this first question is pretty easy as well. So uh, first question, I'll repeat it twice and then, then Arthur will answer. And as we're doing it, listeners, you should answer as well. So don't cheat and wait till Arthur answers. Uh, first question, when... Felix Leiter comes to Bond's hotel room in, where are they at? The Bahamas or Jamaica? They're in, They're in Nassau. Bahamas. Nassau, yeah. okay. So when Felix Leiter comes to Bond's hotel room in Nassau, Bond almost immediately punches him in the stomach. Why does Bond do that? I'll repeat it again. When Felix Leiter comes to Bond's hotel room in Nassau, Bond almost immediately punches him in the stomach. Why does he do that? Arthur Turnbull. Because, because Leiter greets him and almost says 007. And Bond is actually looking for someone who might be in the room. One of Largo's guys. That is correct. 25 points if you got that right. Yeah, Bond punches him <laughs> and is one of the weird funny things about the film because Bond punches him and when Felix in a minute asks well why'd you do that and he says because you were about to say 007 now mm-hmm. presumably Bond did not want the guy who's in the hotel room the <laughs> agent, to hear, right. hear Felix call him 007 because he didn't want his identity revealed but immediately as Bond is saying he's saying I didn't want you to call me 007 the guy is standing right there <laughs> so it's like <laughs> why <laughs> and then Bond and then Bond Arthur Bond sends him back to Largo specifically to report. You remember Bond says, Go tell him, you know, he takes his gun, basically yeah. go back to Largo and tell him what you found, you know, blah blah blah. Makes no sense whatsoever. But No, no, it does not. Flaw in the script. But yeah. Twenty five points, you're correct. He punches Felix in the stomach. That's a huge flaw. Felix were about <laughs> to say double oh seven. Yeah. All right. So that was a layup. Now we're going to get to, we're going to get a little harder here. So I hope you warmed up. Um, it is implied, question number two, it's implied that Largo's henchman, Vargas, is only passionate about murder. When making this point to Bond, Largo lists all the things Vargas does not do. Can you name at least two of the things Vargas does not do? I'll repeat that question. It's implied that Largo's henchman, Vargas, is only passionate about murder. When making this point to Bond, Largo lists all the things Vargas does not do. Does not do. Mm-hmm. Can you name at least two of the things Vargas does not do? And I'll give you a hint. He, he says it to him. Vargas does not blank. Vargas does not blank mm-hmm. blank. Vargas mm-hmm, is not mm-hmm. blank. What mm-hmm. do you do, Vargas? That may be an example. Um, I'm not sure. Vargas does not drink. Vargas does not smoke. Oh, you are so you're so right. That's correct. Ah. <laughs> I was say you're so close. Yeah, you're right. That is correct. I'm gonna read you the exact quote. Um, hold on. Where is it at? Where is it at? Um. Largo says, you know, Vargas does not drink, does not smoke, mm-hmm. does not make love, 
what do you do, Vargas? Yeah, okay. Yeah. How Largo knows he doesn't make love, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't know if they talked about it or <laughs> Vargas, you know, Largo hit him up and dude was like, no, I don't do that. I just kill people. I don't know. So, but okay. So you said does not drink, does not smoke. Those are two. Arthur, you got another 25 points, man. You, you two out of two so far, bro. All right. All right. But I'm going to tell right. you right now, I'm going to make a prediction. This next one is going to stump you. That's the prediction I got. Okay. Okay. Um, we were just talking about this scene though. We were just talking about it though. Um, so let's see. Okay. Question number three, the specter agents all have numbers during the specter meeting. One agent is killed by number one because that agent was embezzling. What is the number of the agent who was killed? I'm gonna say it again. The specter agents all have numbers. During the Spectre meeting, one agent is killed by number one because that agent was embezzling. What is the number of the agent who was killed? Number I'm seven. Definitely going, I'm going to give you mad respect if you get this one. Number seven. <laughs> is that your final answer? Number seven. That's your final answer? Number seven. <laughs> <laughs> That is incorrect. Ah! <laughs> you were too off. You want to guess which way you were off? You were too. Damn, too number too nine, bad. wasn't it? It was number, number nine, nine, wasn't it? It was Shit. number nine. Yep. Um, but yeah, you you were off by two. So number eleven was the one who was doing all the talking. Remember, because he was like, you know, we got X amount yeah. of money from this. We got doing it. And number one is like, yo, you were supposed to have this amount. What happened? You know, he's like, oh yeah. He's like, no, no, that's not what happened. And he's like, what, y'all been skimming off the top. And number 11 thinks he's about to get, he's like, I haven't been doing anything, but this guy might kill me. And then this dude next to him, he even says, number 11 says, number nine and I have been doing blah, blah, blah. And he points to the guy mm-hmm. next to him. That's how you know that's number nine. And number nine is the one who gets fried. <sighs> All right. I gave you plenty of chances. I asked you if that was your final answer. But all right, so listen, you are two out of three, just like last week. So, I mean, not bad. I think that if you, if you, if you get, three out of three on any of these if you don't fall below two out of three and you get three out of three on any of these i think you're gonna be in real good shape um but you got to get three out of three on one of them so and these got progressively harder i think the first question was like i said a layup the second was like medium but that last one that was that was a difficult one that was definitely a difficult one all right question arthur will continue with the next episode, which we're not going to tell you what film that's going to be. You're going to have to find out. Um, we're not going chronologically. We're not going according to, you know, the chronology of the films or the bonds. Um, so who knows what film we're going to be doing next out of the 24 that are available. Um, but it will be interesting. So, yeah. So tune in for the next one. Anything, any, any last words, Arturius? Just said this is Mad Unreal. 007 and Counties was the Thunderball film review. This is Arthur. That is Isaac. Follow us in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. Reach out to us via Twitter. Hashtag Mad Unreal. Yeah, especially if, if if you guys watched Thunderball and it was your first time like Arthur, I definitely want to hear if, you know what you guys are thinking about um, this film because it, it, I think it, it occupies a very unique place in um, Connery's bond over you know you have um the first three which are lauded you know without you know i you'd be hard pressed to find somebody say something negative about the first three but then the next two yeah 
Only Live Twice and uh, uh, Diamonds Are Forever both are kind of like, you know, split in terms of, you know, the reaction to those films. So Thunderball kind of sits at the, the nexus point between these two eras of, of Connery's films. So definitely hit us up if you have thoughts on Thunderball. See you next show, everybody. Peace. Keep it on real. Thank you.